Grace to you and peace from God our Father and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's have a seat. So that was kind of a weird story, right? <laughs> I say that with admiration, mind you. I'm a sucker for any weird Bible story. That's not that I don't like the regular ones, but I just find the weird ones a little more interesting. It's like, you know, it's instructive to me when the synoptic gospels tell the story of Jesus healing blind men by saying, go, your faith has made you well. But when John's gospel describes Jesus cobbing into the dirt and making mud with his spit and then glomming it on the guy's eyes, then I'm hooked. <laughs> so in today's gospel, when Jesus goes to preach in his hometown only to send them into a murderous rage and then somehow disappear right before he's pushed off a cliff, I think, now that's a good story. <laughs> But, but, this morning we also have a once every three years opportunity to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and not have an anxious bride and groom staring at me thinking, <laughs> hurry up, get to the vows, right? For obvious and very commendable reasons, this morning's epistle is the go-to for weddings. I'm pretty sure I used it at mine. I tried to find it, but... You know, but since we only hear it at weddings, we might forget that St. Paul didn't actually write that letter to a bride and groom. He wrote it to the Corinthian church. He was not giving instructions on how to live together in wedded bliss. He was giving instructions on how to live together as a parish. And that's worth thinking about maybe once every three years or maybe before you attend an annual meeting. So... Wipe from your mind for a moment every wonderful or awful wedding homily you've ever heard about 1 Corinthians 13, and let's think about St. Paul's testimonial to love and what that means for our life together as a church. To begin with, you may remember that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth because they were having some internal disagreements, pretty big internal disagreements, about piety, about how to apply the law, and about some underlying class differences. And it was getting serious. You know, they were starting to break apart. Now, I think we are blessedly uh, free from that kind of strife in this church, but we've all experienced this kind of discord somewhere at some time. If nothing else, we're experiencing it right now in the community that is our nation, and arguably in the community that is our world. There's a growing trend for people to retreat to their own corners and glare suspiciously at the outsiders because the differences that divide us are so serious and so important to us that we can't bend. Does that sound familiar? Right? So Paul hears about this situation arising in his church plant in Corinth, and he intervenes on multiple occasions. And this time around, he reminds them that the church... The church must first, last, and always be a community that loves. Or as one of my colleagues more aptly put it, a community that practices love. Because for Paul, as for Jesus, love is not necessarily something we feel. It is something we do. I've said this before. I'll probably say it again. In scripture, love is not the same thing as fond or romantic feelings, as delightful as those are. Love is a concrete action. It is how you demonstrate to another person that they are a child of God, created in God's image with all the dignity that that confers. 
That's why Paul is at pains to identify what love must do or not do rather than what love is or is not. In English, it sounds like Paul's using a bunch of adjectives, love is this and this and this, but the Greek is filled with action verbs. Love practices patience, love acts kindly, it rejoices, believes, bears, hopes, endures. Love does not envy, boast, brag, behave rudely, insist on its own way, resent, or end. Paul lists 15 verbs to describe how love behaves, and those actions are the foundation on which all other church activities rest. That's what we need to remember. The church, you know, it helps us develop and sustain spiritual practices that draw us closer to God. And the church can and should teach us and teach our children about scripture, about history, our liturgy, if you were in adult forum, other religions. And the church should absolutely be taking the fight for human dignity out to the streets and the courthouses as we strive for justice and peace. But all of those activities are contingent on our faith in God's love for us that in turn causes us to love others, to practice our love for others. Because if we don't, then it doesn't matter what else we do. We will be nothing and gain nothing. This is, not, now this is not just a case of the church echoing Rodney King's rather heartbreaking plea, can we all get along? I think as citizens of the United States, it's our responsibility to help create a nation where the answer to that question is an unequivocal, yes, we can. But as citizens of the kingdom of God, and as members of a Christian church, we're asked to do more than get along. We are asked to love and to turn love into an action verb, to equate love, not with a feeling, but with effort that we make on behalf of others, others with whom we may seriously disagree. Remember last week we heard there are many members, yet one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, right? The church needs all sorts. And when you get all sorts together, you're gonna have disagreement. I, I love how a Lutheran professor put it. He said, in the context of 1 Corinthians, the measure of love is its capacity for tension and disagreement without division. Love calls us to unity, but not to uniformity. So Christians are given the lofty responsibility of standing arm in arm with a brother or sister in Christ, even as we fail to see eye to eye. That's not easy. I would never imply that it is. In fact, I would go so far as to say it's impossible, except by the grace of God for whom all things are possible. And one of the beauties of being a community of faith rather than a well-meaning secular community is that we know that God's grace is available to us for the asking. God will empower us to practice patience, act kindly, Rejoice, believe, bear, hope, endure, all without envy or boasting, bragging, rudeness or resentment. And so we can be that impossible thing, a community that practices love. And don't you think the world needs that? I do. I think it always has. So let's show them. Let's be that light to the world. Let's practice love. Amen. <laughs>